Well, one win is in the books. Welcome back to the One Foot Down podcast. I am Eric Murtaugh. I have Young Curmudgeon, a.k.a. Phil, with me again here. Uh, we're taping this on Labor Day, Monday evening, before the Ohio State-Virginia Tech game comes on. Notre Dame blows out Texas in super convincing fashion. Final score, 38-3. to Texas does break the shutout with a field goal in the second half. Phil, um, what would you think about the game? Give me some high-level thoughts on uh, how everything went for you. Um, it was the game was great. You know, it was the great um, showing that we wanted to see. They did exactly what they needed to do. Um, they came out, and you know, there's a lot of talk about Texas being an inferior team, um, not going to you know put up much of a fight. I mean, I don't know how true that was. I don't even suppose we're going to talk about that. But they did exactly what they were supposed to do in their opener. You know, just no questions, mostly no questions left unanswered. I guess there's a few maybe on defense, but at the end of the day, it was a great victory. It was probably the most complete victory we've seen from a Notre Dame team on opening day, maybe Sands Navy 2012. Um you know, but just the absolute level of domination that we saw, and I think that's the best way to do, uh, describe the performance on Saturday is just domination. We'll get to uh, kind of Notre Dame's side of things here shortly. Just some quick thoughts on Texas. I know a lot of people are saying you know, they, were ter- they were terrible. Uh, from my point of view, I thought, you know, kind of looked at some of their weaknesses. And uh, none of the positives or none of the strengths that they could have had this or this year showed up on Saturday, and pretty much all of their weaknesses were exacerbated by Notre Dame. Did you think, you know, do you think this Texas team really is that bad, or was this, you know, Notre Dame just beating up really bad on a team that might win seven games or so in, in the Big Twelve? I think Texas will be bowl eligible. Um, when the 12th game is in, by the time the 12th game of this season is in the books, I think Texas will be bowl eligible. Um, so they're not, you know, 2007 Notre Dame bad. Um, I think there's a lot of things that, um, from a discipline point of view, um, especially towards the end of the game, a lot of frustration that you don't usually see from a, um, a Charlie Strong coach team. Uh, some of the fundamentals on defense, even though I thought they had pretty good uh, front seven play. Um, they, uh, they, they were not good in tackling fundamentals, which has again, sort of been a hallmark of Charlie Strong's teams and that's gotten him to the position he's at. I mean, their offense is just, you know, it, it, it's as stagnant as it can be granted. Um, they were looking to spread the ball out a little bit. Um, and you know, when you're doing that against potentially one of the best corners in the country, Kavari Russell, you know, uh, Cole Luke is also, you know, up there. You know, you can't expect, you know, something that's coming in as a weakness against, you know, some of the real strengths of the Notre Dame team to, uh, you know, to uh, not be exposed. Now, the game was 17 nothing at the half. Uh, Notre Dame completely controlled the first half. Um, you know, in my opinion, I thought the score should have been a little bit worse than that. Um, in my, my write-up for Monday, I kind of wrote how – you know, that first couple of series in the second half, Notre Dame hadn't really put the game away, uh, and then they missed, a, they missed a field goal. Were you worried at all at that point, or were you just thinking, oh, this might be the type of game where, you know, Notre Dame 
wins pretty easily, but might not it might not be a blowout. I'm I'm assuming you weren't worried about losing at that point. I wasn't worried about losing. Um, well, but I did point out, or, or I was like tweeted out um, at that around that time, sort of sitting up seventeen nothing, that we were not finishing them off, and I was a little concerned about that. Maybe that's a little reflexive after you know sort of the events that transpired in the Northwestern game last year, um, and I think you know I can be pardoned for that. But uh, you know, from the I didn't think we'd actually lose, but I this game needed to be a convincing win. I think that that's something that is not debatable anymore in the uh, in the college football playoff landscape, that if you're going to win and if you're going to beat a team that is, you know, decidedly your inferior, you have to beat them convincingly. And I was concerned from the point of view that, you know, even after the Rice game last year, you know, there were still a lot of questions about Notre Dame's, you know, there were just questions about Notre Dame that, you know, even after the temple game two years ago, we won, but there's a lot of questions. I wanted there to be able to walk out of that stadium or uh, have the team walk out of that stadium with no questions left unanswered that, you know, Notre Dame is going to be a force this year. Um, and this is just the first step in a much more uh, uh, significant journey. Yeah. Typically Notre Dame is not really used to some of the praise they're getting right now. You know, a lot of the stuff from SB Nation, they're saying they've looked like the best team so far in college football through week one. Obviously, we're still waiting on Ohio State to play tonight. You know, looking at some of the stats, you can kind of see why. 30 first downs for the Irish. Texas was limited to eight. Only two rushing first downs for Texas. Um, only 163 total yards for Texas. Notre Dame was at seven yards per play. Um, and, you know, this wasn't the type of game where Texas turned the ball over a bunch in Notre Dame took advantage of a couple short fields, uh, zero turnovers for both teams, just a solid, solid beatdown for the Irish. Let's talk about Malik Zaire. Um, everyone wants to talk about him. Pretty phenomenal and impressive Notre Dame stadium debut, at least in a starting role for Zaire. He finishes 19 of 22, 313 yards, three touchdowns. Wasn't really a huge factor in the run game. He had one nice run kind of in the second half. Um, What'd you think about Zaire? I mean, pretty much passed this test with flying colors. If you go back to what we were talking about uh, at, during the spring, and I think immediately after the bowl game, my biggest concern with Malik Zaire not wasn't the strength of his arm or his ability as a runner was his ability to look down the field, go to a second, third, and potentially fourth read to make a play with his arm down the field. I think what we saw on Saturday was a player who has matured in the offense to the degree that he's willing to stay in the pocket, he's willing to look from left to right or from right to left and find the open guy before he takes off. I think there's one play, if you go and look at the Watch ND uh, highlight video, where he uh, rolls out, I believe, to his left. He avoids uh, a he avoids a, a I don't know if it was a blitzer, just avoids a defensive play in the backfield. Um, and it, I think he found Will Filler for, for, for 11 yard or 12 yard first down. Um, and that's something that I don't think we would have seen against LSU, something we would have seen in, in the spring. He would have tucked that ball. He would have run it. He might have gotten that first down. But, you know, I think we're seeing a much more mature passer. I mean, you can't say enough about his performance. Um and the fact that he went out of bounds on runs, you know, he didn't just run into the contact, went out of bounds. That was very mature on his point, on his part. Um, 
and just, you know, I mean, if you look at the, I think it was a dig router that he threw to uh, Will Fuller for the first touchdown was an absolute laser. I mean, it, it seems like, you know, Malik Zaire, I mean, I don't even think it seems like it. The fact is he's, he has all the tools and he's going to, you know, take his team places. That throw you're talking about was pretty amazing. He actually fell down on that throw. I don't know if people actually noticed that. He, he threw it so hard that he, he fell down. Um, yes. That's such a hard throw. I and mean, the average person doesn't know how far that ball has to travel from, you know, across the field like that. And um, Yeah, it was, I think it was a free blitzer off the edge that came, and he just completely – I mean, that was a, a pretty much a Golson-esque move right there by, by Zaire. Um, I'm wondering if – you know, if this offense is really going to take off, I've kind of been thinking about this during the off season. If you know, where this is really going to be kind of like the one season where Notre Dame's offense kind of enters the upper echelon of the modern day offenses, and you know, I've kind of repeatedly looked at Notre Dame history and said, you know, it's really hard to average 35, 36, 37, 38 points per game at Notre Dame. It just really hasn't happened all that often. But you know, you see a lot of other teams that are averaging 40, 42 points per game. It seems like with Zaire, I mean, you don't want to get too ahead of ourselves yet, but you know, it seems like you're you're going to get a lot of Florida Tebow esque plays out of him, just in the sense of wide open guys downfield because of his strength as a runner and and just the strength of the running game. Hopefully, that kind of sticks with us the rest of the season. Um, I wasn't at the game on Saturday, but you know, talking to some people and reading some comments, they were saying, you know. Guys were wide open downfield all day, and he Zayer had great protection. And I mean, I'm not worried about his accuracy if that's the case. It would be pretty amazing if uh, you know we, we see kind of that type of an offense where it's really not too hard for Zaire to go through his progressions and find find guys. I know there was some criticism about him not really you know taking two or three steps and firing the ball you know on timing routes, but if these guys are wanting running that wide open, he doesn't really have to do that. So. I'm excited to see the offense. It's going to be, I think, a really great season for them. Yeah, I think also the um, – sort of what you're talking about, the play action, is that when Will Fuller, when he threw the bomb to Will Fuller for the touchdown, um, you know, everybody's you know, immediately said, oh, well, it's a blown coverage. Well, of course it was a blown coverage. But the thing is that that's not a blown coverage necessarily because a mistake made by the defense. That's a blown coverage because they're creeping up to play the run because the run game has become so effective. And because he's such an effective runner, Malik Zaire is, and he runs the play action so well, not just the zone read, but the play action as well. Will Fuller is going to get those busted coverage. You can manufacture those busted coverages and get yourself open to make those plays. And those are things we can look to expect and not just sort of, oh, well, we took advantage of a mistake. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, running backs played a pretty big role in this game. Of course, we have to mention Terry and Fulston out for the year with a torn ACL, I think it was. I think they said it was MCL and then changed to an ACL. I think I have that right. Yeah. Um, he gets three carries. He didn't really do t- too much on his first two carries, and then he rips off a 15-yarder and kind of cuts, and his knee just kind of gave out a little bit. It was tough to tell from the – even watching it in slow motion that he really hurt his knee all that badly, but I guess sometimes that's the way it happens. Um, so he's gone for the season. That's a big blow for Notre Dame. Um, the good news, at least on Saturday, was Procise and Adams really stepped up. Those guys combined for almost 150 yards. Josh Adams scores on his first touch ever. Uh, he ends up with 49 yards on five carries. 
Um, also burned Dexter Williams' red shirt, kind of as inserted late into the game. As soon as Folston was done, it's kind of a, a no-brainer there. Uh, we even got Josh Anderson the walk on a couple carries, which is uh, pretty unheard of. We've seen, well, I should say former walk-on. We've seen former walk-on quarterbacks come in late in the game and hand the ball off and stuff like that. Running back, not don't see that too often at Notre Dame. What did you think about the running backs? Uh, I was awfully impressed with ProSize especially. I mean, maybe not the, the most uh, smooth runner, I guess. Not going to really wow anybody with kind of his smoothness, but he just gets it done. He's got so many great tools as a runner. He does. And if I had to pick one nit with him, uh, if you go back and look at the highlights, he, on that play where he, I think rips off about 11 yard run. And then the offensive line comes in and almost rub, rugby scrums him probably another five or six more yards, which was great. Um, but if you look at that play right before, as he goes into contact, he does this sort of spin move. And he seemed to be doing that a couple of times um, as he went into contact uh, during the game. And I, I think that's just a bad habit and, and one that hopefully Autry Denson can, uh, can uh, address. Um, but outside of that, I mean, his production speaks for itself. You know, he had 20 carries for 98 yards, was averaging just slightly under five yards a carry. Uh, his long was 21. You know, for a guy who came into the game second string, can't complain about, uh, you know, essentially a 100-yard rushing game. Josh Adams, I mean, talk about, you know, really making your mark in your first game, two touchdowns for about 50 yards, but only on five carries, so averaging about 10 yards a carry. Um, you know, I can't say that I'm not going to – be ridiculous and say that, you know, we're not going to miss Folston. You know, I think he's going to be missed greatly, but I don't feel as bad to, uh, to lose him. That's to say, maybe if we had lost, maybe, I don't know, knock on wood, Max Redfield, um, you know, the depth is there. Um, there's people who can uh, carry the ball effectively. And the one final thing I'll say about that is for Folston, if you go out and if you go online and look at the vine video that's going around of his injury, you'll notice that when he plants his right foot, that just if you watch it very carefully, you'll notice that the knee sort of buckles and the knee almost oscillates a little bit, a little vibrate, a little vibration. It's very, if you're looking right at the knee as it happens, you can sort of see it where it sort of goes like an up and down sort of thing. And basically what you're watching right there is the, is, is the tibia moving forward and the femur sort of moving backward in relation to each other and the ACL tearing. And it's a, you know, it's a tough thing. Tough thing to watch. Definitely a tough thing to watch. Now, using your medical uh, expertise, did you kind of know, kind of after a couple minutes of what was going on on the sidelines from watching, that um, was probably a serious injury? I at the at the time when I saw him on the trainer's table and I saw what they were doing because because when he first got off the field and I didn't, I have to admit, uh, we had people over and I didn't really see him go down. I, saw yeah, I don't think him, anybody really did. No. So I saw him get up and limp off the field, and it almost looked to me, watching him limp off the field, that it looked like an ankle injury. And I'm like, okay, they're going to go tape it up and get him back. But when I saw him on the trainer's table and I see that they're manipulating the knee laterally, medially, and then uh, I knew that they were at the, at the very least suspecting something. And I was sort of hoping to myself that it's a sprain and then, you know, 
the thing is that everybody, some people are saying, oh, he's walking out. But the thing is, when you're when you get an ACL injury, um, you can walk in a straight line, um, uh, no problem, and almost painlessly. Um, you know, it's really about the cutting and the changing direction, the lateral movement uh, that the ACL really comes into play. So, I, I basically when I saw them moving his knee around um, and doing those particular uh, manipulations and examinations, I. I sort of my, my heart sank a little bit because I you know I was sort of trying to convince myself that oh you know he'll be right back in but when I saw that it you know and and it stinks you know here's a kid who's worked his behind off you know since I've had since he was a freshman year since he was a freshman he came in against Navy that that year you know had a big game you know and he's, he's you know been just Mr. Dependable you know for the last you know two three years or so um and you know, and he's all primed, ready to go. He's the, the starting spot is his and his alone. I mean, not to say that the guys behind him, you know, were, you know, not going to get playing time, but you know, it's a it's a tough thing to watch. It's a really tough thing to see. Do you think there's any way he'll come back for a fifth season? Uh, I guess most people would probably say no. I I would tend to disagree um, with that wisdom. I would say that I I think he does come back. Uh, the reason I would say he comes back would be. Um, the NFL is going to be very uh, sort of suspect of a knee. You know, he's going to, you know, and he's going to be playing at the next level. His body is going to be withstanding forces, you know, that are even greater than, you know, that of a college top tier college athlete. So I think that they're going to want to make sure that his knee repair and, and the recovery is for real. And they're going to want to see that um, a, a long string of healthy play. Now, um, and I hope that he feels the same way too. You know, it, it, I think a lot will probably depend on if he comes back next season, which I, which I, I believe we're all anticipating that happening, what kind of performance he puts out. If he puts out a great performance uh, next season and the NFL is basically knocking down the door, then that's a different story. Um, but we'll see. It basically is going to depend on his production next year. Um, uh, yeah. So I think that's, that's probably sort of the approach that he's going to take. Now, given his knee injury, do you think he will be able to be back for spring ball? Do you think he'll probably have to fight for his uh, starting job next year? Um, Both because of the talent at running back, you know, with right. Preston and Adams and the injury as well. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle because um, where are we? We're in September right now. It's... Uh, three, four months till December. They start spring ball in like what, March. Usually the rehab for an ACL kinetic was usually somewhere around six months. Um, I mean, that's going down all the time. I I didn't see, I I must admit that in the reports that I read, I didn't, I don't recall what the, the grade of the actual injury was, how severe it was in terms of how among the ACL tears. I mean, it's an ACL tear. I don't recall how severe it is. And that plays a factor of course, in recovery, but usually the top nowadays, the top line or the, the, the upper limit of recovery is six months. Um, you know, some people never recover. Um, but a lot of times the people that don't recover, I'm not saying all the time, but a lot of times is, is it's a mental thing is there's a hesitancy and that hesitancy leads you to not have the proper biomechanics, which leads to more injury. And it's a sort of a vicious cycle. Um, so if he comes back mentally, like look, look at Drew Tranquil, if he comes back, 
you know, ready to go mentally and, and the doctors get everything squared away, I think he could probably at least be considering competing in the spring in 2016. My fear is, you know, they kind of kept him in bubble wrap during fall camp. and I'm kind of concerned about, you know, he's probably not going to be at 100% healthy, maybe at best not taking contact in the spring, and then who knows what they would do in fall camp again. It's going to be a long, long time off of not really playing, like, 100% hard football. I wonder how that's going to affect him. How about the rest of the offense on Saturday? Um, you know, Zaire threw for 313 yards, but it didn't really seem like anybody stood out a whole lot among the receivers and tight ends. Um, no one outside of Will Fuller caught more than three passes, um, although five separate players did catch or did have at least 30 yards receiving. Um, anything on the receivers, on the receivers, the tight ends, anything like that? I thought Carlisle had a pretty nice game on a few catches. I think he had two that basically went for 50 yards total. I think he had a screen that got blown up as well. So he had a nice couple catches, and uh, it didn't really seem like – I know Brown had a touchdown reception, uh, just not a whole lot out of the uh, the receivers on, on Saturday, even though – you know, 313 yards, you would think there'd be uh, lots to talk about there. Well, I mean, it's almost sort of, uh, you know, run of the mill at this point. We to say Will Fuller had a 100-plus yard game you know, on seven receptions. Um, you know, so I, I'm okay with what, what, if you look at the box score for the, for the receivers, I'm okay with that because what we're seeing is uh, well, there's plenty of guys out there, plenty of guys who can make plays. We're going to, yeah, we're going to favor Will Fuller a bit. We're going to hit him for these big things. He's going to, you know, he's he's had 142 yards. He was averaging 20 yards a catch. He had two touchdowns. Basically, the way I'm saying it is that I'm okay with, in the passing game, Malik Zaire uh, channeling a little bit of Jerry and Grant and just being a distributor and just getting the ball to a variety of playmakers down the field. If you couple that with the running game that we saw, uh, I'm okay if the individual stats don't jump off the paper because it's all about the finish, the, the whole product, and the whole product was uh, quite satisfactory. Yeah, the offensive line also had a great game. Uh, I'd probably give them an A in run blocking and an A-plus in pass blocking. I thought they were phenomenal in the latter. Zaire um, so was only really pressured, I think, on the sack that he gave up. I think Kelly said that was a bad protection call. He slid somebody the wrong way or something like that. And then, of course, that play we already talked about, there was a, a guy coming free, and Zaire just kind of juked him out of his pants and uh, threw the ball downfield. Um, late in the game, I thought that was interesting. They pulled both of the seniors. Stan, they came out. Hunter Biven went in at left tackle. Nick Martin came on at center, and they put in Sam Mustafer. But they left uh, the three other guys out there, Nelson, Elmer, and McGlinchey stayed in. Um, when the when Kaiser and all the other guys came in, the backups. Uh, great things to say about the offensive line. Anything bad to say? Uh, probably not, huh? No, no. I mean, uh, just outside of the uh, the uh, the uh, false start calls that sort of seemed to stall us a little bit in that mm-hmm. that when we were sitting at that seventeen nothing mark, um, concerned me a little bit. But the, I, I guess the interesting thing though about those is that. Uh, Quentin Nelson didn't do any of it. He he wasn't responsible for any of that. It was Nick Martin, Ronnie Stanley, and I think also 
uh, I forget if it was Elmer or McGlinchey, but it was like the three veterans on on the line were the ones that were responsible for those plays. Uh, so, you know, and, and I'm not worried about those. I mean, Harry, he's Dan will get them sorted out. If, that, if that's the worst thing that's going on, uh, not much to complain about. I mean, if you look at the second Josh Adams touchdown, I mean, he's 15 yards downfield before he's even within, you know, two feet of a, of a receiver. I mean, of, of a, of a defensive player, uh, you know, untouched is, you know, a, an understatement, you know, anybody can run, but you know, anybody can look good running through holes like that. Um, and just speaking of Josh Adams real quick, I mean, there was that one play where uh, Malik Jefferson was in the backfield sort of instantaneously and mm-hmm. gave him a big pop. Um, I, I just want to, you know, highlight the fact that the freshman held on to the ball. I mean, that was an absolutely blind and vicious hit, and it was completely clean, not to suggest anything else. But he was a freshman in his first game. He's already scored a touchdown, and he's getting leveled by, you know, a who se- someone who seems to be poised to be a premier player. And most importantly, held on to the ball, which after last year is something that I am very pleased to report. So defense was pretty much a team effort. Everyone kind of had a really good game. I don't think there was anyone we could point to that said, oh, this guy kind of stood out that didn't really have a good game. Maybe look at the backup at that position. Uh, I guess we should mention that Avery Sebastian is going to be out a few weeks with a broken foot. Um, That's kind of a, a bummer for him. Safety position isn't really uh, proven behind the backups, although we saw Tranquil play quite a bit up towards the line of scrimmage and kind of a outside linebacker defensive end role. Um, you know, you look at the stats defensively, and it wasn't like anyone had a huge game. Um, Jalen seemed to be everywhere, but only had seven tackles and a sack, a quarterback hurry. Um, bunch of ta- tackles for loss scattered throughout the roster, which is, I think, Really, with Brian Van Gorder, that's what we'll see. If this team is – this defense is kind of playing at a high level, we're going to see a lot of guys getting one tackle for a loss and kind of like eight different guys will get that. Uh, you know, We're not probably not going to see a guy get three sacks. We'll see three or four guys get a sack apiece. I think that's the kind of style of defense that he wants. Um, as we said, Texas only had 168 yards. I was trying to find how long it's been since uh, Notre Dame has had a team – get fewer than that, and I haven't really been able to find. I saw 2010 Army at 174 yards. That's the last time Notre Dame's uh, forced a team under 200 yards. So it's been quite a while since we've seen uh, an opponent with an offensive output this bad. Um, you know, it could be Texas being bad. Who knows? But overall, this defense looked phenomenal in the opener, wouldn't you say? I would say that they did look – yeah, I mean they they put on a great show. Um, I'm I'm pumping the brakes on the defense a little bit, particularly our defensive line. Um, I, I mean, there's nothing I can't point to a negative uh, in their play, but I also can't look at Texas and say Texas is such a great offensive line or anything like that. That we can this is the one place that I'm I'm gonna say that uh, we need to take this with a little bit of a grain of salt because. I mean, they were starting, I think, a true freshman and a redshirt freshman on their O-line. Um, and they don't have a history of great O-line play, at least in recent seasons. So, I, uh, uh, you know, like I said, I, I think they put on a great show. I think they, you know, did the job they were called upon to do. I just don't – I'm not saying that this is going to be the same line that's going to show up. Uh, or not that it's not going to show up, but it's going to have the same production against, say, uh, 
you know, Clemson. Uh, oh, yeah, but, definitely. But I did see – but I will say, I, I did see a couple things. I thought Romeo Quara in particular – because I was looking at him because he's been sort of on the line for quite some time now or as, also as an outside linebacker when he first got into the rotation. Um, he looked bigger. He looked more athletic. He looked the part of a true defensive end. Now, I want to see if that translates into production, but he did look the part, and uh, and uh, he looked good. He looked definitely uh, better. I uh, like Jerry Tillery. I mean, I was looking at Jerry, Ter- Jerry Tillery a lot, too. He looks very athletic for a, guy, for a true freshman. Um, there was that one sack uh, down by uh, Texas's own goal line that he comes across. I mean, it was really Trimbetti, I think, that caused the sack. But Tillery came and you know cleaned it up, and I think if you watch him move, he gets sort of shunted to the outside, away from the direction of the play, and comes around from the backside. And you can see that he is a quick, quick individual. He um, he's got some real uh, sh- uh, short distance speed to him, I mean quickness uh, to get to the quarterback. Uh, so and Sheldon Day, you know, had just a solid game, and Daniel Cage seemed to also you know put in a real solid you know, performance, which is what you want from these guys, because, you know, if they can just, you know, put in solid performances and leave guys like Jalen and um, Joe Schmidt to, you know, clean up the rest of the mess. And then an athletic guy like Shoemate or Redfield to really clean up the mess. I think this defense is really going to be something more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. I don't really have a whole, you know, a big issue with kind of throwing cold water on the effort from the defense. Uh, I think, this upcoming week we might see kind of something very similar because Virginia doesn't look like it's going to have a very good offense either. But, you know, the one thing I was kind of looking at was the difference between, okay, their offensive line is pretty bad and we're kind of just either going right around them or pushing them back into the quarterback. I think that's one thing. But, you know, in the few times when one of the Texas players got the ball on the edge and it looked like they might get the corner, we swarmed with the ball. Uh, multiple tacklers. Um, and then, you know, when we did beat the offensive linemen, we weren't slow to the quarterback. We did look really athletic, I thought, uh, kind of more so than in, in recent years, at least since we've kind of made the conversion from, um, you know, Teo leaving and, and, and the Diaco system of old. I really thought this was the first time that maybe we could say Van Gorder's system kind of blossomed for once. And you're right, this this Texas offense probably – it's probably going to be, if not the worst, but possibly you know one of the two or three worst offenses we'll face all season, uh, especially in, in the opener. Um, basically, not being ready for what Notre Dame threw at them. So, um, are there any other thoughts about the game? Uh, special teams, anything like that? You know, Ewan went one for two. He missed a, a forty-five yarder, I believe. He hooked it left. Kind of hoping that he would be perfect forever, but. Maybe that's a good thing that he gets a miss out of the way and he can refocus. Yeah, I, I think he. Uh, I think if you watch the film, he. Uh, I think it was Kaiser was the holder. It, something was off with the hold. I don't know if the timing was off or. I, I recall reading and watching in in real time that there was something off about the hold. So, not to say that Justin Yoon will and always will be perfect, but um, I don't think that was all completely his fault. But again, you know, he nailed his first one. He was super excited about that. That was cool to watch. Um, and he, uh, but he did come back and he did get all five of the extra points. So, um, you know, was able to shake off the miss. Uh, I would have liked to have seen CJ Sanders do something special, but um, 
you know, uh, just never got that opportunity. Although their punter did a hell of a job, you know, he was really hanging him up there and, you know, CJ really had, you know, even with great coverage, you know, you're not going to, you know, and great, uh, play ahead of you and great blocking there. There was really nothing he could have done about that. Yeah. The, I think the punter had one really bad shank, but other than that, he, yeah, he boomed some punts. They were nice and high, not too far. They didn't out kick the coverage. Um, you know, I know a lot of people complain about punt return. I, I often wonder if those people watch other games. There just really isn't that many punt returns across the country. You know, you either have to have the punter completely outkick the coverage or be a complete line drive. Uh, you just don't see, like, a pretty average kick and, like, nice blocking and, like, a lane set up. It just not doesn't happen anymore with the spread, spread formations unless you're playing Michigan, of course. Uh, <laughs> Oak era, Michigan. Um, I thought our coverage teams were excellent. Again, I don't know if, you know, that's just Texas being that bad. I thought after a while their, uh, their returners got really hesitant, uh, look, almost looked scared when they brought the ball out, especially on kickoffs. I know Ryan Newsom, I don't think he was the starter in the beginning, but he took a couple of the kickoffs uh, later in the game, and he was a super fast kid out of Texas. I know we were recruiting him. Uh, he just looked so slow compared to all, our, all of our players. Uh so I guess punter bro will uh, take us through all the special team stuff in a day or two. Um, any other thoughts about Texas before we kind of wrap things up? Uh, you know, again, I, I, I will say, though, when we talk about Texas, um, I think as a team they don't play well. But you have to remember, Texas is still recruiting, you know, athletes. This is not a MAC team. This is not an FCS team. This is, this is Texas. And even if they're not buying into Charlie Strong's system and they're not playing as a team, you know, or they might have a weak link here or there, the raw athletes that they're putting on the field are still, you know, they're quality athletes. So to go in there and dominate them, uh, as the Irish did on Saturday, I think still carries a lot of weight. And, and I think that that can't be discounted from any conversation about this game. So we're playing Virginia this weekend. Uh, we're road tripping down to Charlottesville. First time ever that Notre Dame would play at Virginia. Uh, Notre Dame has played Virginia once before to open the 1989 season. That game was in Giants Stadium in a kickoff classic. Um, they pretty much murdered Virginia that day. Um, the final score really was indicative of how bad that was. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit in my preview that have already started. Uh, Virginia has to travel all the way back across the country. They were at UCLA this past weekend against the Bruins, um, quarterback Josh Rosen, kind of the favorite son. I think he already got some national offensive player of the week votes or was the national player of the week by somebody I saw on Twitter. Uh, Virginia loses that game 34-16. I was watching a little bit of this game. I thought, you know, Virginia looked okay early on, and it seemed like UCLA just kind of overwhelmed them eventually. And Rosen got a little bit more comfortable uh, throwing the ball downfield. Virginia didn't get a whole lot of pressure on Rosen, which probably is bad news for them against Notre Dame. Uh, UCLA hasn't had a good offensive line in recent years, but is supposed to really have kind of buckled up and, and, and bared down this offseason to get their uh, off, their offensive line in order. Uh, so they played well. Of course, Notre Dame's going to have a good offensive line, so that should be a nightmare matchup for the Cavaliers. Uh, Phil, did you get a chance to check this game out at all or see any of the highlights uh, about Rosen or anything else with UCLA. I know Eddie Vander does uh, 
tore up his knee, which is uh, is, is a tragic uh, uh, tragic injury for him. I wasn't going to bring that up because I didn't want to open <laughs> the door of, of, of the shade and Freud of uh, of that for Irish fans. And you know, again, you hope the you wish the young man a speedy recovery um, and hope that he can get on with his career as quickly as possible. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you're right from the point of view that uh, they were. It seemed if I just sort of looked at the. I didn't actually watch the game. I had uh, too much studying to do, but I was able to sort of keep an eye on the box score and, and sort of uh, the updates. And it seemed like they were holding their own with UCLA, just hanging around uh, for most of the first half. And then, like you said, I think UCLA just kind of opened up on them. Um, I think Josh Roshan is talented. I don't. Uh, I don't know how good UVA actually is. Um, I think it's important that, you know, Notre Dame, let's just, let's make what we're seeing on Saturday and what we saw against LSU, let's make that our identity. Let's just do it. We're going to, we're going to take our show to your house and we're going to, and we're going to win with our plan, with our show, with our identity. We don't need to fool around, say, worry about the matchup and all that sort of stuff. We're going to run it down your throat. You're going to try and stop us, and when you try and stop us, we're going to hit Wolf Fuller over your head, and we're going to beat you that way, and we're going to play some good defense, and that's it. And, and if we make that our identity, it, you know, it, it doesn't really matter anymore because if you look at our O-line, you look at the guys who got running behind him, you look at the quarterback, the horses are there. Let's just let him run. Yeah, I think Virginia's offense is going to have a really tough time uh, on Saturday. They kind of dink and dunked their way down the field. Uh to Quan Mazels, they're they're really good running back. He caught eight passes for a hundred something yards. Uh, they really didn't test UCLA downfield at all. Um, kind of looking at Virginia on defense, supposed to have a pretty good defense, and they gave up over seven yards per play against UCLA. Kind of UCLA eventually was doing any, anything they wanted towards the end of that game. Uh, I was kind of reading some recaps around the internet, and a lot of the Virginia folks are saying, you know, this. They, we did. They did play pretty well in the first half, but it, the thirty-four sixteen scoreline really wasn't indicative of kind of how bad it was towards the end of the game. So, um, I think I saw the spread was ten points. Notre Dame was favored. Um, I would imagine that might be going up a few more points uh, after Ohio State plays and everything kind of resets after Week One. What do you think? Yeah, I think that um, there's definitely a lot of people out there in the. Uh in the commentariat, uh, both professional and amateur, that's uh, pretty high on Notre Dame right now, and I think uh, Vegas will reflect that. Um, I think they see and they are seeing that Malik Zaire is a legit uh, captain of the offense and able to sort of direct this offense and really make it high-powered and unleash it. Um, and I think Vegas will reflect that, as, as I said. Um, and again, it's we can look at the UCLA game. We can we can see what they did against them. But at the end of the day, I think we have to play to our strengths, and our strengths are going to be: we're going to run it down your throat, we're going to set up the pass with the run, and we're going to and we're just going to go do it. And you know, good luck stopping us. Um, and I think that's Malik Zaire's attitude too. And I think that it's one that fits the team very well. All right, that's going to wrap up our fifty fifth podcast. We'll be back next week after a rare. He said winking uh afternoon game in virginia next week under the sun there uh, in charlottesville Um, hopefully we're talking about another big win for notre dame Uh, i'm eric that's phil and we will see you guys in another week's time